We were one of those households growing up that didn't have any prescription or over-the-counter medicine thanks to my mom being a chiropractor. Aloe vera comes to mind. We sipped on the refrigerated juice for upset stomachs and broke a piece off the plant to rub on our skin for burns. I can hear my grandma saying, It's from the garden, which was an inside joke in our family, referring to our meals being made from the variety of vegetables from our backyard garden. We got plenty of fresh air and were an active family. I was definitely living a holistic lifestyle from a young age. In school, I excelled in math and science, along with being very detail-oriented. I even got the Silver Test Tube Award in my chemistry class in high school for achieving the highest grade. When thinking about a career, pharmacy was an obvious choice as I wanted to go into the medical field but was squeamish around blood at the time. The biggest factor that played a role in my decision to pursue pharmacy, however, relates back to my mom. She was diagnosed with bipolar disorder during my senior year in high school and was put on medication for the first time in her life. At the time, I assumed there was not a more natural remedy that could help her, or she would have tried that first. That experience really changed my opinion of prescription medications, and I saw them as wonderful and potentially life-saving. A few months later, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety and started my own medication regimen. It worked at first, but then I became depressed again in a couple of years. The multiple episodes of depression and med changes that followed robbed years of my life and forced me to take time off from school, quit jobs, and move back home. This doesn't include the broken relationships and delayed life events such as marriage and children that are still an unknown at this point. After experiencing this repetitive cycle of depression relapses and having to switch or add new meds, not only in myself, but also in my mom over the years, I thought there must be a better way. In 2019, I discovered functional medicine and immediately fell in love. Treating each patient as the unique individual that they are and asking why they have these symptoms in the first place just made sense to me. I knew this was what I wanted my pharmacy career to entail and it got me back to my holistic roots from childhood. To pursue this, I enrolled in the School of Applied Functional Medicine last fall. It turns out that what we learned in pharmacy school as a brain chemical imbalance being the cause of mental illness is only one part of the story. Our gut microbiome, we're finding, plays a tremendous role in mental health and communicates directly to our brains via the vagus nerve. An imbalance in these bacterial species can be a root cause of mental illness. If you'd like to learn more after listening to this episode, take a look in the show notes for a link to a document I created called Top 6 Root Causes of Depression. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Podcast Nation, we are focusing on mental health and the pharmacist role, the state of mental health in America. Youth mental health is worsening. From 2012 to 2017, depression in youth increased from 8.6% to 13% of youth ages 12 to 17, and now Studies show 2 million youth have severe depression and anxiety. Mental health in adults, but suicidal intentions and attempts has increased from 3% in 2012 of the population to 4% in 2017. That's over 10 million adults in the United States with serious thoughts of suicide. We're going to be focusing on mental health in this series. If you'd like to participate, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send us an email, publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. We thank you for your work as pharmacists, and we're here for you. Please reach out. Together, we can care for each other so that you, the hub of healthcare, the pharmacist, can care for communities across the nation. One of the most fascinating studies 
that I've read recently, which was brought to me by today's guest, which we're going to introduce here in a second, was evidence that scientists have been able to infect mice and rats with mental disorders. Goodness gracious. <laughs> this including depression and anxiety by transplanting stool samples, which contain gut microbes from human patients into laboratory animals. And there were several uh, recent studies to build off of this and show this. And one of the, um, from the State University of New York, Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, psychiatrist Julio Lachino was quoted in saying, when you give these mice the microbes from depression, they begin to behave in a depressive-like manner. My name is Todd Yuri. I'm the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and today is a new episode, part of our pharmacist focused on mental health. And we have a very special guest with us today that will uh, be talking about functional medicine and um, the impact of your gut on your mental health and how that plays an enormous deal to our society today. And think about it. We've been going through this pandemic, which has increased a lot of our depression, a lot of our anxiety. And on top of that, lots of people that were um, sheltered in place and staying at home, I'm sure their diets went awry and it probably, um, it probably played into poor mental health and taking care of ourselves and the lack of fresh air, the lack of, um, of being able to share with each other, the lack of exercise, the lack of, of, of being able to feel not as cooped up as we are. And this is an extremely interesting angle to mental health and the role that pharmacists play specifically. Without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Lisa Zilbauer, who's known as Dr. Z. She is a functional, functional medicine pharmacist uh, she's accessed and peer-reviewed and um, is an entrepreneur, uh, actually the owner and CEO of Root Cause Rx. And I'm going to have in the show notes how to um, get a hold of Dr. Z as the Mindful Pharmacist on Instagram. And that's the Mindful and then Pharmacist, F-A-R-M with an F, Pharmacist. And then also Root Cause Rx, which we're going to talk about. Welcome, Dr. Z, to the Pharmacy Podcast. Thank you so much, Todd. I'm excited to be here. I'm as well. We've been talking about this component of pharmacists focused on mental health. I want to give a shout out to Dr. Monica Krishnan. She is the one that really helped us to launch this uh, whole series, and she has brought us some amazing participants and guests to really build upon the importance of pharmacists involved in mental health and really understanding how chemicals, how diet, um, how our medications, how our disease states are impacting us as human beings uh, with regards to depression and mental health. So I want you to give us an overview of yourself, why you wanted to become a pharmacist, and more importantly, why you are uh, quickly rising um, in, in our industry as someone who really understands the balance between gut health and, and, and mental health? Sure. First off, I also wanted to give a shout out. You beat me to it, Monica, for starting off this series, including you also, Todd. Thank you so much for doing that. And then also our, the previous guests that have been on this series, um, well, obviously Monica shared her story and so did the student pharmacist, David Dent. And, um, you know, Dr. G and Bella shared about diet and exercise and how that affects our mental health as well. And your daughter that was on. That's right. <laughs> it was very interesting. I, I think that I've learned a lot from interviewing Rachel, my daughter. She's been on our network uh, four times and she keeps track and she actually wants to return. But back to today's theme. I think it is incredibly interesting in this study specifically that showed that a psychiatrist was part of this research where the laboratory uh, mice were impacted by, um, I guess, stool samples that were injected 
you know, into their systems that were that were from, you know, depressed humans. And sure enough, there there's now depression, and that open up opens up a whole level of mental health, uh, Doctor Z, that I never thought of. I never would have thought that gut health was that much of an impact. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And um, speaking of the fecal transplants, it brings me back to when I was in pharmacy school, I had a infectious disease rotation at a hospital. And one of the things I presented on was um, how fecal transplants were being used in patients that acquired C. difficile infection um, or C. diff as it's commonly known, associated diarrhea. Um, and they found that when they took the stool from healthy people and transplanted it into the patients with C. diff, that it completely eradicated you know, their infections that they had, which is usually pretty hard to treat. Um, and it's a common infection that people get in the hospital. Um, but to go back to why I was interested in being on this podcast, um, one of the things I want to do is share my personal mental health story. Um, and I was recently listening to an Evolution of Medicine podcast, which is hosted by James Maskell, which is a huge proponent of functional medicine. And I happened to listen to um, one on optimal mindset. And have you heard of Bo Eason? I have not heard of Bo Eason. Yeah, I hadn't either, but he was a pro football player who's now a life coach. And he said this, and he was talking about mental health, or sorry, healthcare practitioners. Uh, what matters most is they, meaning, you know, us healthcare practitioners, use that story to connect to other people because other people, including you and me and everybody listening to us today has gone through pain. And that pain and embarrassment and shame is the best connective tissue that you'll ever have in your life. And I thought that was just a great, you know, visual representation of how we're connected as human beings and how important that is um, in our overall health. And, you know, it actually affects our gut health as well. Um, profound. It is profound. Open up and and share with us kind of your your personal story with mental health, and how did being a farm D kind of help you to deal with that? Were you able to look at it? Was it something of your own? The way that you were feeling was it something you were able to look back on your own education as a farm D as a pharmacist in? make better sense of it or did that help or was that really not a, a you know did it did it not play into really helping yourself get back to a kind of a baseline per se um i would love to say that it helped as a pharmacist but uh to be honest i think that what helped me the most was connecting to other people that also had mental illness. So that, you know, normalized things for me because, you know, I had so much shame around my own mental illness that it really, you know, impacted me. And it was kind of like a vicious cycle of, you know, the negative thoughts and then um, that spiraling into more depression. So connecting with like-minded people, um, I currently work as a peer counselor at NAMI DuPage. And if you're not familiar, NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and we have chapters all over the United States um, for support, education, and advocacy for people with mental illness and their loved ones. Um, so as a peer counselor, what I do is I work one-on-one -on -one with other people with mental illness and we, you know, work towards recovery goals for them. I share, you know, parts of my own story and what has helped me in hopes that, you know, it'll help them or it'll, you know, spur them to think of something that would help them. So um, 
In other words, being when I started volunteering at NAMI, um, I feel like that's when my depression really turned around because I it was kind of like a breath of fresh air because I had never been in an environment where other people talk so openly about their mental illness. Um, you know, at pharmacies, jobs, whatever profession you have, people don't talk about that really. And it just, if you do have mental illness, it just makes you feel less than. Um, so just hearing other people, you know, family members of people with mental illness talk so freely and opening, op freely and open about it um, was really just eye-opening and it made me feel part of a community. Um, but going back to my mental health story, um, you know, looking back when I was in my depression, I always thought like, well, why did this happen to me? Like I had a really good childhood and I always thought that, you know, you know, people with physical, verbal, you know, abuse, you know, traumatic life events that, you know, only those people got depressed. So I'm like, you know, I had a good life. My parents loved me. I was like, why did I get depressed? So back to the whole connection with each other as human beings, I realized that the first time I felt depressed in my life was in sixth grade when um, my best friend at the time decided that, you know, I wasn't cool enough to hang out with and she wanted new friends. So I remember, you know, calling her when it, you know, the transition was still going on and I didn't really understand that she didn't want to be my friend anymore. And, um, you know, she answered, she had her new friends over and she was like, who wants to talk to Lisa? And, you know, no one, you know, no one came on the phone. So I was kind of just left hanging there. And, you know, that really impacted me. Um, I didn't think it would impact me that much, like looking back, but that really started my mental health journey and started my first feelings of depression. And you know, at the time, I didn't really know what was going on. All I knew that was that I was sad. And, you know, I would cry in my room. Um, surprisingly, though, like, I would hide it from my parents. Um, I just, I guess I was ashamed. I, d I don't know why. But I just felt like I didn't want to share that with them. So after that happened, um, it completely changed my personality. I don't know if I was ever outgoing, but you know, I was friendly. But after that, I became super, super shy. And to the point of like almost being mute, like it was extreme. Mm -hmm. um, in seventh grade, my junior high gave out awards at the end of the year to every single student. And my award was the Cats Got Her Tongue Award, mm. which, you know, further <laughs> made me feel bad and lowered my self-confidence. Like I had to walk up in front of the entire class, you know, and get my award, which I didn't see as an award. <laughs> right. I agree. Uh, but um, anyway, so that's kind of started where my depression came from. And then... I didn't get diagnosed until the summer after I graduated from high school, uh, which was in 2001. Um, you know, mental illness runs in my family. My mom's dad, um, who I never got to meet because he took his own life by suicide um, when she was, I believe, 11. Um, so we think that he had bipolar disorder, but obviously we won't know for sure. And then my mom has bipolar disorder. Um, a few of her siblings have schizoaffective disorder. Um, and then, you know, I have depression and I also have anxiety. So 
Um, my mom's first manic episode was when I was a senior in high school. And, you know, as we know, you know, a lot of people have mental illness in their genes, but it takes, you know, some kind of traumatic event for it to, you know, be present in their lives. So, you know, my thing in sixth grade, and then again, with my mom dealing with this person that I didn't, it didn't feel like my mom, you know, if anyone's ever been around someone who's manic, who has bipolar disorder, you know, they have increased speech, um, like speed of speech, um, grandiose ideas. Um, you know, it just seemed like a completely different person. And I took the brunt of that, unfortunately. So, um, just dealing with the stress of that really brought out my depression even more. And um, so after high school was when I got depressed, or sorry, was when I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety. My mom actually, you know, once she um, was stabilized, you know, she took me to see her own psychiatrist in Chicago, I'm from Illinois, Chicagoland. And she was like the top psychiatrist of the University of Illinois in Chicago, you know, psych department. Um, so, you know, I had the best care according to conventional medicine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started an antidepressant and that did help, you know, initially. It did make me feel better. Um, but what I found over the years was I would usually feel pretty good for like a year and a half, two years on the antidepressant or anti-anxiety I was taking. And, but after that, I would fall into another episode of depression. Um, so then my medication would have to be switched. So this would happen, I mean, this happened every few years since I started taking antidepressants in 2001. So I've been on almost every antidepressant <laughs> there is out there. Um, when I've had to get my prescription transferred to like a different pharmacy besides my own pharmacy, they don't even really know what the medication is. They've never heard of it. It's Betsima is the brand name. But um, that just goes to show that I've tried all, you know, the well-known ones and we had to switch to some other ones. Um, does, does the human body build up a tolerance to a psychotropic in a way that after a period of time, it's not as effective? And that's the reason you think that people have to change? Um, that's been suggested as a theory uh, from my functional medicine background, it's believed that when you're on, you know, an SSRI or a SNRI, that, you know, that increases the serotonin in your brain beneath, between the synapses. Um, so it stays there longer before it's, you know, taken back up and recycled. So your body, if you're on it for a while, is like, oh, you know, you're taking this drug and that's increasing the serotonin. So I don't have to produce as much serotonin anymore. Mm -hmm. So um, from a functional medicine standpoint, it's believed that over time your body, you know, gets used to being on these antidepressants and it thinks that, you know, I don't need to produce these anymore. And then it that kind of declines over time. So, and that, definitely makes sense in my case. And, you know, working with other people at NAMI with other mental illness, I, you know, a lot of the other peer counselors and clients we have had also, you know, dealt with having to be on multiple trials of different medications. And, you know, with, you know, psychiatry in general, you know, it's kind of a trial and error. It's not like infectious disease where if you have a bug, a certain bug, you treat with a certain drug. Um, you know, it's, you kind of pick an antidepressant based on, you know, your clinical experience and expertise, 
but then you know the person might fail that drug and then you have to try something else and in fact um i watched a webinar recently with a functional medicine psychiatrist and he said that only 30 percent of people on antidepressants does it have you know a positive effect the rest of the people it doesn't work for at all and it's believed that you know in those 30 percent that some of that is placebo effect it's not the actual medication so i mean that's not a really high efficacy rate <laughs> it makes me think of um, pharmacogenomics and testing your system to ensure that you're going to be metabolizing and breaking down that medication as intended it also makes me go back to that study that you gave us, Dr. Z, which I'm going to have in our show notes, a link to it, that talks about the gut and the impact of the gut on our mental health and status. And I'm wondering, through functional medicine studies that you've done, is there a list of foods? It's not going to work for everybody, but some foods, would it help over a period of time from a natural perspective to combat what's happening chemically in our brains to, um, to cause depression or feelings of anxiety or, or something. Because Joe Friedman, who is a pharmacist, he's um, Illinois State's um, one of their experts on medical cannabis and using cannabis to help depression in many ways as well and anxiety as well. And so what are your, what are your thoughts or your, or, or your experiences with functional medicine and using foods as part of a, a treatment in helping to lower, um, you know, anxiety and depression? Yeah, I think food, you know, food is information. So everything that you put in your mouth and your body is basically leading you towards health or leading you towards disease. So it's such an important you know, aspect that, you know, in conventional medicine, unfortunately, doctors usually have only 15 minutes with a patient. That's the average patient visit. So they don't have time to dig into the person's diet, their lifestyle, their stress, um, which is really important. So yeah, diet is definitely a foundational aspect of functional medicine. Um, What's been shown to help with mental health conditions is, um, you know, omega-3 fatty acids are, most Americans are deficient in them and it's not something that's normally tested by a doctor. So, um, you know, increasing, you know, avocados, walnuts, any kind of fatty fish really helps um, most people they can't get enough in their diet for it to be sufficient so that they have to take a you know, supplement. And you know, I take a high quality fish oil supplement. It's really important to make sure it's a high quality one because as we know, you know fish can be um, contaminated with toxins such as mercury. So you know, obviously we don't wanna put more mercury in our system. So to make sure that it's a good quality one. Um, and then, you know, magnesium is another top American deficiency that most doctors don't even test for. So taking magnesium has been shown to help, especially with anxiety. Um, so I'm taking that as well. Unfortunately, in our current diet, um, you know, because of our current pharmacy, farming practices that, you know, have promote topsoil erosion that, you know, the vegetables that we're eating and the fruits we're eating don't have the same nutrient density as they did, you know, 50 years ago. Um, I believe I read recently that, you know, our current broccoli has, you know, 50% less nutrients than it did 50 years ago. Wow. So, you know, I know there's different views on supplements, especially from pharmacists and, you know, from a functional medicine standpoint, unfortunately you can't get 
all the nutrients you need from your food most of the time. So it's advised in most cases to take, you know, a general multivitamin, multimineral, and then anything on top of that that, that you're deficient in, you know, through testing. Um, I just want to get back to my mental health story for a minute because for anyone, you know, that's out there that's listening to this, whether you're a pharmacist or not, you know, I had so much shame surrounding my mental illness that I completely avoided like my pharmacy friends. I completely avoided my pharmacy school. Like I just like out of sight, out of mind. I didn't want to deal with it. Um, you know, I didn't want people to ask me like, oh, where are you working? Cause that's, you know, pretty much the number one question people ask each other, <laughs> especially if you haven't seen someone in a while, like, oh, you know, where are you working? And I didn't want to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm not working in pharmacy. Um, Cause then they ask why not? And then I have to get into it. So I just completely avoided it. Um, so, you know, if you're listening, one of the reasons I wanted to share my mental health story was the more people, you know, that share the, um, closer we can get to ending the stigma of mental illness because that is such a huge problem. And I know that, you know, Todd, you talked about that with Monica in the first episode. Yeah, I, I look to my past um, and depression and the way that I felt in my third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and not until I got into seventh grade, I was in a Catholic private school and the classrooms were so small that everybody knew everybody. And once you got labeled a specific way, it was almost impossible to break that, you know, that social role that you played. I was one of the shortest kids. I had a big head. I had ears that stuck out, you know, um, I wasn't one of the cool kids. Um, I was super fast. That's all I had in my favor as a short little fast kid, but I got picked on, made fun of, you know, I was always the brunt of the joke. I didn't have any friends that would come over for sleepovers. And, you know, I, I really, my best friend were my brother was my brother. And, you know, that's really who I spent time with. But when I look back on that and, and the, the, the depression that that caused me, it wasn't accepted as an excuse not to be okay it wasn't accepted to be uh good at good at homework or or good you know producing good grades or doing your chores or you know functioning um it was semi-accepted you know my mother would listen to me you know when i come home from school she'd always ask how my day was and she was about as much of a counselor as i could get but back in that time not to make myself sound ancient because i'm not but this would have been between 1979 through, you know, 1992. It was an age where mental health really wasn't as evident and as important as an insect, as accepted as it is, as it is today. My own daughter, who is 18, um, when she was 14 was diagnosed with selective mutism, which is, uh, which is brought on by anxiety and stress. And so if I would have had that, which I didn't, I was just more intermittently depressed because of my social situation, which I think is slightly different than chemically being depressed. Cause I don't think I was chemically depressed per se. Maybe I was, but I was definitely chemically hyper. I had a tension de deficit disorder that probably was never diagnosed. I had other things that were going on, but nobody ever focused on it. Nobody ever, you know, allowed it to be something to accept it. Today's schools in my children's schools, they have these entire support units that have nothing to do with education that have to do with, you know, um, mental well-being and, 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 you know, support. And so I think it's, it's amazing where we've come from, but I think we're kind of at the beginning of it because of the stigma. Because if you think of what I just said um, to you, Dr. Z, 
you know, if I'm 48 and people that are 10 years and 20 years ahead of me who are still very much involved in business, in the creation of um, what's acceptable in society, there's still a lot of people that don't accept it and think that it's an excuse and they think that you're weak and they don't, you know, they think that you're unbalanced or whatever the keywords are. So I think that pharmacist being that you're seeing your patients really more than anyone is a key to really unraveling number one, the stigma, and then number two, the, the mental health treatment ongoing once you take the baton from the physician and really get an opportunity to dig down into um, helping our patients as we hold hands with a psychiatrist or a counselor or the family members or the support unit to really drive down into what's happening with, with our patient that's, that's struggling with mental health like you did and like I did. And I've never accepted mine, by the way. I've, I've never accepted that I probably had some issues and it would make me feel very weak and it would make me feel less confident about myself, I think, if I really looked into it. I believe in the first episode you shared that you saw a counselor, correct? I did, and I, I was attacking my sister constantly, so they wanted to find out why I didn't like my sister so much, and they made me go to counseling. And um, it was weird. I didn't. I after I realized that this individual had an interest in me, um, I actually liked coming back to talk to them. But the first, <laughs> the first, um, the first, you know session was really awkward <laughs> and now i'm very close to my sister so whatever happened it happened back in the day but yeah i i was horrible to her i teased her and probably didn't sorry tara tara if you are listening right now i'm sorry for treating you uh badly back in the day um I think what you brought up is such an important point since pharmacists are one of the most, you know, accessible healthcare practitioners out there. And, you know, the language we use surrounding mental health really matters and it can either, you know, increase the stigma or decrease the stigma. So I just want to take a little time to talk about using language to decrease the stigma of mental illness. I'm glad you brought that up because you and I have offline have talked about this and you've given me some direction. I, and I think we should list some of these in the show notes. We should list some of these terms and, um, and give reference to them, but please um, go through, go through them and, and tie them back to why it's pro or negative to stigma, you know, in, in, in getting rid of the stigma or actually promoting the stigma. Definitely. So, a lot of people don't like the term mental illness and, you know, I can see why, and we've talked about this before, you know, mental implies, you know, it's in your head, it's your problem, it's your issue. You know, there's a, some kind of character flaw in you. Um, you know, I work for NAMI, you know, it's called the National Alliance on Mental Illness. I think that if they could, maybe they would change their name now, but, you know, it's still widely accepted, you know, in the medical field as calling it mental illness. And I think using the term mental illness really depends on how comfortable you are, because for me, you know, I know I have a mental illness, so I, I'm not ashamed to say that now. You know, I was before, but now I'm not. Um, but for someone that, you know, if you're a family member and you're concerned about your loved one, you know, talking to them and saying, you know, I think you have a mental illness might not be the best way to go about it. Um, you know, NAMI National recommends using the terms mental illness or mental health condition. Um, you know, I like mental health condition and what we usually use at my NAMI, NAMI DuPage, is um, mental health concerns. Um, we don't like using mental health issues because, I don't know, that can, I guess it has kind of 
a flimsy connotation and it doesn't really go one way or the other. So we prefer, you know, mental health condition or mental health concerns. And I think even in some of the previous episodes for this series, um, you know, some language was used. I think maybe you or someone else said like one in five people have mental health. It's like, okay, but mental health, what? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like you're afraid to say what it is. Um, and doing that just increases the stigma because if you're afraid to say it, that's going to make other people afraid to say it too. And I'm not saying that you did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very common for people that aren't in the mental health field. You know, we're never taught any of this. So, you know, it's just about educating people. Um, so another thing that was also said in a previous episode is um, using the term committing or committed suicide. Now, when you think of the word committed, it has a pretty negative connotation. You think of committed murder, you know, committed to a mental institution. Um, So the preferred way of saying that is um, died by suicide um, or took their own life instead of saying committed suicide. And, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, someone threatened to take their life or threatened with suicide. And, you know, threatened also has a negative connotation. It's, it's not that they're threatening to do something bad. They are, you know, it's a cry for help. They're trying to reach out because they need help. So um, saying, you know, they disclosed that they wanted to take their own life or, you know, disclosed that they wanted to um, die by suicide um, is a much healthier way of talking about it. Um, Another thing is, you know, I talked about earlier that my mom has bipolar disorder. And in the past, I might have said, you know, I'm talking about her to someone else, you know, my mom's bipolar. Um, So that's using, you know, the mental health condition as a adjective. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, she's she's so OCD or, you know, she's schizophrenic or something like that. And that's using them as adjectives when they're actually nouns. It's a, you know, disorder that they have. Like you would never say, my mom is cancer, but say my mom is bipolar, you know? So trying to, you know, take that out of your vocab and you can use words like has, lives with, experiences instead, you know? So my mom has bipolar disorder. She lives with mental, you know, health condition. She experiences, mental illness um, that just encourages hope and empowers people instead of, you know, sticking them with labels that don't really apply. And I found it interesting, in fact, because when I was doing research for this, um, there was another article that I that was just published maybe within the last week and it was talking about changing our language and it was referring specifically to OCD and it talked about how people joke about, you know, just kill me now or I could die, you know, now. And so I, on Instagram, I looked up the hashtag, like just kill me, I think. And there was actually like a notification that popped up that said, you know, if you need help, reach out to so-and-so. So I think that's a positive step forward that, you know, Instagram is taking and just in general. Um, But anyways, to wrap that up, just, you know, the words you use matter to break down, you know, the negative stereotypes and give people hope by 
choosing words that are more relatable and promote understanding. Um, it's just an easy step that you can take as a pharmacist, having being the most accessible healthcare practitioner. Um, I like the words, the aspect of the language and what what words we use. We have to think of what people are hearing when they're when they're being talked about even to themselves or to a family member or to someone else and it feels very judgmental um you know when when you say schizophrenic or psychotic disturbed the word crazy it's also you know negative connotation versus a person living with schizophrenia or even the word normal behavior um instead of saying you know, unusual behavior or typical behavior or an adjusted behavior or something that doesn't sound so judgmental. So I, I see what you're saying. I was in um, the, the field of, of substance, um, you know, abuse and substance disorder. And I think they're saying, don't you say substance abuse, say substance usage disorder. And it was opioid usage disorder. And, you know, it, those words when you're talking with a patient or someone that is suffering with that when you made the comment before we recorded as we've worked on this session and on this episode you know you used the you know the cancer um reference and that really made me think i was like wow you know i wouldn't say my mom is cancer you know, I, I, why am I saying my mom is bipolar? So that's an excellent point, Dr. Z. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You're welcome. So what is your advice for pharmacists listening right now who really want to understand, you know, gut health and mental health and steps to take to be more holistic and more involved in, in functional medicine. So I just want to say a quick aside about my mom and she's not going to like that. I'm saying this is, you know, when I told her that I was going to do this episode, she didn't want me to talk about her at all. And I asked her why. And she told me that, you know, her psychiatrist from 30 years ago told her, you know, don't tell anyone that you have a mental illness. And, you know, that was the same psychiatrist that I initially saw. And it just goes to show you how ingrained that is in people's minds. Like I explained, you know, that I wanted to share my story, which includes her as well. Um, you know, to decrease stigma. And by the more people sharing, the more we can decrease the stigma, but she still insisted that I not talk about her. So I decided against it because I want to decrease stigma and she's a big part of my story. Um, so she's not gonna be happy when she hears this, but I think overall for people that, you know, it's just good to share. And like we said, you know, pharmacist, I think even, you know, Monica said in the first episode, you know, as a retail pharmacist, you know, she does tell some of her patients when she's dispensing medication about her own story, and, you know, that can open other people up to share what's going on with them when they don't feel like they can talk to anyone about it. Um, so just, you know, sharing about yourself is just really empowering for other people. But getting back to gut health. So I, there are some truths that were so shocking to me that I'm, that I learned when studying functional medicine that I don't think we were ever taught in pharmacy school. If we were, I don't remember it because <laughs> it was a long time ago. But 
So one of them is that two thirds of our immune system is in our gut. It's called um, the enteric nervous system is in our gut, which is our you know our primal nervous system that honestly I didn't even really think about until studying functional medicine because you think of you know the central nervous system composing of the parasympathetic and sympathetic, but no one really talks about the enteric nervous system. So that was you know shocking and fascinating to me. And this nervous system that we have in our gut actually um, produces um, neurotransmitters, which I never knew that. You know, when people talk about neurotransmitters, you think of the brain. When people talk about depression, you think of the brain. You know, we're taught that you know, depression is a, you know, neurotransmitter or a chemical imbalance in the brain, which can be true for some people, but definitely not true for all people. So for example, the enteric nervous system in our gut makes 90% of our body's serotonin. Mm. Now just think about that. Like that is really shocking to me. So, you know, Serotonin turns into melatonin. So, you know, sound sleep, pain regulation, and balanced mood are highly influenced by our gut health. And in addition to that, about 50% of our body's dopamine is made in the gut. You know, so our ability to focus, control our muscles, learn new habits, and have good memory are all highly influenced by the health of our gut. And beyond just the enteric nervous system making these neurotransmitters, the gut microbes, you know, make them as well. And, you know, talking about the gut-brain access, like exactly what that is, um, a book that I'm currently reading called The Gut-Brain Connection by Dr. Emerin Mayer gives a good um, definition that I'd like to read. Okay. So he states in his book that the brain-gut access is a bi-directional system of communication between the brain and the GI tract, linking emotional and cognitive centers of the brain with peripheral control and function of the gut. Serotonin is a key element of this access. So... You might be wondering how the brain and gut are connected. And one of the major connections is via the vagus nerve. And another truth that I learned that was very shocking is that, you know, you can think of the vagus nerve as a two lane highway, you know, one going from the gut to the brain and one going from the brain to the gut. Now, 90% of the communication is from the gut to the brain, not the other way around. Now just think about that for a second. So our gut is termed by a lot of functional medicine practitioners our second brain um, because if you think about it in those terms, it's kind of in control <laughs> of us. Um, you know, some people could even say, you know, it's, we're kind of like the host and our microbes are, you know, the main entity of our being. So besides the vagus nerve, um, you know, different chemical messengers like, you know, cytokines or hormones that our gut produces can also be in communication with the brain. Um, something that's, you know, gaining a lot of traction in functional medicine is depression being a disease of inflammation, as are a lot of diseases. Um, so when you have inflammation, it actually increases 
um, the blood-brain barrier permeability so that more, you know, toxic substances can get in and therefore inflame your brain. I think it's an untapped, um, an untapped ability to help patients in ways that, that balances the, the medication impact on uh, people's systems and how functional medicine may change that or pharmacists that get much deeper into nutritional impacts or exercise or something else that encompasses what they've learned, what you've learned in pharmacy school with other parts of, of ongoing health to make people live better um, and, and be able to deal with, um, deal with additional stresses. And you wonder, I wonder Dr. Z at what level it could, could have been controlled in a natural way before moving to, you know, a medication um, and, and if there's a way to map that or a way to discover that per patient or per person that's dealing with, um, dealing with extra stress or anxiety or nervousness or depression or whatever, you know, whatever the, the, the disease state may be or the, the condition might be if there is a ability to start out in, in an assessment and ongoing kind of balancing the chemicals that we're taking in through medication and what they're designed to do with, you know, what you're getting into with, with functional medicine. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, functional medicine is root cause medicine. So we really look for the root cause and, um, you know, it's interesting speaking to an audience of mostly pharmacists that you know are trained on medication whereas you know pharmacists that are involved in functional medicine we really believe in lifestyle modifications as a first line and you know we are taught that in pharmacy school for a lot of chronic conditions you know but in practice you know physicians because of the lack of time they have with the patients you know, it's easier for them to write a prescription for a medication than to educate the client, you know, on, you know, ways of reducing stress or, uh, you know, how to eat a healthier diet. So, unfortunately, um, our current model for chronic care is not sustainable. I think, you know, as you mentioned before, with the current pandemic, you know, we have a increase in you know mental health conditions and substance use disorders and you know the way that we're currently being treated for those isn't working so one thing that you know functional medicine practitioners do is during the first appointment they really get to know the patient it's usually like an hour and a half to a two-hour appointment and um Obviously, the insurance model doesn't, you know, support that. So a lot of functional medicine practitioners are just a cash-based practice, including myself. Um, so, you know, there's a really, usually a pretty long intake form they have to fill out and, you know, submit all their lab work and any data that they have so that the practitioner can look at it ahead of time. And then during the appointment, we really dig deep into, you know, their health story, but, you know, going back to even births, like, you know, talking about microbes, were they, you know, did they have a vaginal birth or was it a C-section that can impact your health when you have birth vaginally, you know, the mother's vaginal microbiome, you know, kind of seeds the baby as it comes out when you have a C-section, that part is completely missed. Mm. So um, it's been shown that, you know, babies that were born to C-section have increased risk for certain diseases. Um, and in the studies that were mentioned in the article we talked about, you know, they use germ-free mice, which I had to re-educate myself because I haven't <laughs> uh, read you know, a bunch of clinical studies in a while, but, 
Um, what I found is that germ-free mice means that the you know experimenters had the mice babies you know extracted by C-section, and then they're taken directly you know from that and put in a sterile environment, so that they're not getting any you know microbiome from their mother or from the surrounding environment. And like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, taking fecal samples from human patients with, you know, major depressive disorder, you know, such as myself, and transplanting that into mice, then the mice show that, you know, they have depressive-like symptoms. Um, one of the articles uh, talked about one of the tests they do is, you know, either put the mouse in, sorry, the mice in water, because that really stresses them out. They don't like water. And then another one is just like hang them by their tail to see how much they struggle. And in the mice that got these fecal transplants from depressed human patients, they found that when you held them by their tail, they struggled less and some just hung there. And that reading that like almost brought a tear to my eye because I feel like that accurately depicts <laughs> depression. Mm -hmm. You just want to lie there and lie in bed and you know not function, not face the outside world. Um, you know, so all that's very interesting. I don't know if I answered your question fully. Oh yes, you did. Thank you. Um, I, I want to give an opportunity to our listeners, uh, pharmacists that are out there, physicians that are out there, nurse practitioners, it really doesn't matter. We want collaboration with this series. We do um, have a focus on pharmacists. It's The series is called uh, Pharmacists Focused on Mental Health. But I think the collaboration between multiple providers is going to help not only destigmatize healthcare, but it's also going to help treatment moving forward as we see the impact uh, that that overall healthcare and what's happening in our minds, what's happening in our brains, and how our our digestive system and our gut and our food is impacting us as as individuals. I think before any of this was really talked about when I was younger, and you think of the sugar intake of children that are going through stress, especially today, uh, Dr. Z, with you know not being able to see their friends or go to school if they're being homeschooled or they're being virtual school. And the diet of that child can impact the mental well-being of that child based on sugar intake and, and probably the diets of of children that are feeling un uneasy already. So I think there's lots that we can continue with this. If you're listening and you want to participate in this series, please reach out to us. Um, a way to get a hold of us um, is going to be in the show notes. Um, another thank you to Dr. Monica Krishnan for kicking this series off. And um, you as well, um, you know, Dr. Z, thank you so much for the insights that you provided today about um, gut health and about functional medicine and its tie back to uh, providing everyone optimal mental um, health as, as much as possible and, and how pharmacists can continue to define and research and help and, and, and treat uh, patients that are, that are out there dealing with this. And I think, like I said, I think it's, it's more prevalent now than ever with, with what we're all going through as a society. You're welcome. It's an honor to be here and be able to share my story. And thank you to you as well. Absolutely. You were listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. This is our pharmacist focused on mental health and the importance of mental health as an enormous part of, of being a healthcare provider. And um, we're excited to get this out to as many. So if you're listening to this right now, please share this episode with a fellow provider, a fellow pharmacist, a fellow um, physician, um, or someone that you'd like to work with uh, closer. 
And if you have um, a way to participate in this series, please reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast uh, Network and we'll set that up. But Dr. Lisa Zilbauer, you have been awesome to talk with today and I thank you. And we'll have connection ability in show notes uh, for Instagram to reach out to uh, Dr. Z. And um, we thank you so much for listening.